Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through chapter 2, verse 7. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to read the word of God. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged at being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our Father, we... Thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that all things are in your hand. Lord, we believe what was written of Jesus in the first chapter of Colossians, that you created everything, you sustain everything, and everything is for you. And so, Lord, our, our hearts are not anxious. They're not worried. Father, we, we trust you. We believe God, we ask that you would intervene in our brothers' and sisters' lives in Wanaparthi. We ask, Father, that you would grow us up in Christ, that you would grow us as a church, that you would strengthen us in faith. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you recall last week, we talked about Paul's own uh, mission, okay? So... Uh, the, the passage last week, about 10 verses before the passage we're in right now, talk about Paul's own kind of philosophy of what his life's all about. And he talks about he's got a stewardship from God. If you remember what that means is you're taking care of something that's not yours, right? So Paul is taking care of God's business. And he talks about that the, the carrying out of that business is primarily, this is in verse 25, making the word of God fully known. Okay, so Paul says, I'm taking care of God's business, and uh, what that means is I'm making the Word of God fully known. And then he kind of lays out how he's doing that in verse 28. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, now today we're going to focus on that little phrase, everyone mature in Christ. That, that's what he's aiming to do, okay? So if Paul were here today, you know what he would say his purpose is? His purpose would be to help us grow up in the Lord, right? That, that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to present everyone mature in Christ. Now, when you think about maturity, what do you think about? Okay, so I'm not even saying spiritual maturity. I'm just saying maturity in general. What do you think about? So some people might think simply chronologically, right? So the more birthdays you have, the more mature you are, right? Maybe, I guess, you could think of it that way. There's times where, have you ever not seen a family in 10 years, and you meet them at a restaurant or something, and you're like, well, where's little Timmy, you know? And they're like, well, this is little Timmy, you know? And you're like, oh, my, wow, he's really 
grown up, right? That's, that's what we say about that. So sometimes that's all we mean when we talk about maturity or growing up is actually you got physically bigger, you got physically wider, you got, you know, but, but really that's not most of the time what we mean by maturity. Because there's a lot of times where someone has had lots of birthdays, but we're like, that person is so immature, right? Uh, and what do we mean by that? Well, a couple of things usually. Usually we mean, number one, they've not taken responsibility for their life. So that, that's a way to look at maturity, okay? When someone hasn't taken responsibility for their life, they've not taken responsibility to, you know, work hard and, and, and build their life and pay their bills and take responsibility for themselves. A lot of times we say they're struggling with maturity. Another way we look at it is relationally. A lot of times we, we, we think of, of, of being relationally mature, like people that can handle conflict well, people that can handle, you know, difficult situations. We, we, we talk about that being mature, right? Um, even, even just in children. I remember our, our pastor in Missouri, Kenny Qualls, he was a young guy at this point, and he had a young son, about three or four years old, and Dustin uh, looked exactly like Kenny. It looked like someone shrunk Kenny with a ray, and, and that was Dustin. And, and he would stand at the back of the church with his dad as, as people were going out of the church, and we'd be shaking Kenny's hand, and, uh, and Dustin would hold his hand out, and he would say something like, Glad y'all came today, you know, or good to see you, you know. <laughs> and, and people always talk about, man, he's, he's so grown up, you know. Well, what do they mean? Well, he just handled himself relationally well. So th- those are things that we talk about when we talk about maturity. Actually, those aren't what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual maturity, okay? So the rest of the sermon is really going to be on spiritual maturity. But before we get there, I-, I want you to see that Paul aims at spiritual maturity for who? Everyone. Everyone. Do you see that in verse 28? Warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present at three times, three everyones in one verse, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, the big question is, is he talking about believers or is he talking about literally every person? Well, well, uh, let's answer it this way, okay? You can't grow up unless you're born. True, right? You can't grow up unless you're born. And so obviously... You know, if you're not born again, that's the way the Bible describes salvation. It describes it as regeneration. Remember, remember when Jesus met with Nicodemus and he says, unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, that, that's what he was talking about. You know, a person that's come to a point where they put their faith in Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and they actually come alive. There's a part of them that's dead that actually comes alive in Christ. All right. And so you can't grow up in Christ until you've been born. So in that aspect, only people who are Christians can mature in Christ. But, you know, when I, when I look at what Paul wrote there, I actually think he really means everyone, okay? So, so not everyone can grow up, but, but yet, but Paul prays that through his proclamation of Jesus, people would be born and then they would grow up. So I, I, think, I think he's talking about everything. I, I think everyone is Paul's target audience. You know, even, even people that you would think would never come to Jesus. You ever thought about that? You, ever, you know someone in your life and you're like, that guy will never, he's too hard, he's too uninterested, he'll never come to Christ. I really think God targets those people just to show off his power. Because Paul was one of those people, wasn't he? Remember in 1 Timothy where Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners? What was he saying? I'm the worst one of them all. And God saved me as an example to the rest of you guys that you, you wouldn't put anybody outside of his, his reach of grace. Okay, and so I think when Paul says everyone, I think he means everyone. I think he means everyone on your block, everyone in your family, everyone at work, everyone in Pakistan. I think these folks that, that came in and beat the Christians at Cornerstone Baptist Church and then the police that arrested the Christians, I think Paul, when he says everyone, he means them. 
I think he means I want to proclaim Christ to you so that you'll be born again. And then I want, I want you to grow up. I want you to mature in Christ. Okay? Now, here's what we have to say before we go any further about this whole business of helping people mature in Christ. So, if, if what our job here is today is our job is to grow up in the Lord. And, and, and my job is to help you grow up in the Lord, and your job is to help me, and your job is to help each other. And that's our mission, is helping one another mature in Christ, okay? If that's our job, here's the thing that we got to say about this. It's going to be hard, okay? I, I think you always ought to be told that. You know, whenever someone says, hey, i got a job for you, that's the first thing I want to know. Is this going to be hard, right? How hard is this? Well, Paul tells us right away, it's going to be hard. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, for this, so in this, in this mission of presenting everyone mature in Christ, Paul says, for this I toil. Remember last week we talked about that word? It means to work to the point of exhaustion, all right? So Paul is, is, is laying all the cards on the table here, and he's saying, if you're going to help people grow up in the Lord, and if you're going to grow up in the Lord, it's going to be hard. Now, now, the reason I think we need to face that head on is a lot of times as people, especially our nation, you know, we're, we have a lot of money in America. We have a lot of technology in America. And most of that is aimed at getting around hard things. Really, isn't it? Like, like why, you know, why, why don't you take your clothes out on the back porch, one of them little, uh, little scrubber dudes. What are they called? Thank you. I knew you'd know. Yeah. How come you don't take your clothes out on the, on the back porch, you know, with a bucket and, you know, scrub them down like that? Why, you know why you don't do that? You know why you throw them in the washer and you turn on the button and you put the little... You know why you do that? Because the other's harder, right? I mean, that's the only reason. It's harder. You know, it, it takes more time. It's difficult. And so a lot of what we do, we do because we're trying to get around the hard, okay? Now, now the helpful thing about that is, is that you should not get around some things, all right? We just spent a whole month encouraging you to memorize scripture but you know and i just can't believe people keep saying this to me because I, I i i you know you know how i feel about it people will say to me over and over again i can't memorize scripture what they mean by that is not i have no capacity for memory you know that's not what they mean they don't mean i don't i don't know what color my car is i don't know who i am i don't know who you are you know they don't mean that you know what they mean this is hard right it's hard for me and absolutely it is, all right? I'm not arguing with that, okay? But I think what Paul teaches us here in verse 29 is that there are some hard things that are absolutely worth it, right? And so is it hard? Yes. Is it hard to obey Jesus? It actually is hard, yes. Is it hard to talk to other people about the gospel? You know, there's a lot of times it, it is hard to do that. Is it hard to love people like Jesus loved them? Absolutely hard is it hard to care for the poor you know what to to care for the poor in a way that helps them in a way that builds them up in faith in a way that actually progresses them in their life that is a hard thing is it hard to make disciples yes is it hard to 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 take the gospel into the earth yes is it hard to pray persistently for the discipleship of others that is hard. Okay? Now, what do I, if you're thinking it's not hard to pray, God is good, God is great, thank you for this food, amen, you know? <laughs> We're talking about two different things, okay? Here's what Paul's talking about. In chapter 2, verse 1, okay, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle. Man, isn't it cool that 29, toil, struggling, 
Next verse, verse 1. How great a struggle. He keeps saying that. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I think Paul's talking about prayer. I think in verse 1 there when he says, you know, I want you to know how much of a struggle I have on your behalf. I think he's talking about prayer. You know why I think he's talking about prayer? Because he just told us in verse 1, I've never seen you. Now, if he's never been in the same room with them, if he's never been to McDonald's and opened up the scriptures with them, if he's never had a chance to care for their lives, he's never had a chance to meet them practically and, and personally and be in their homes, then probably what he's talking about in verse 1 is prayer. Do we agree about that, right? And so, so Paul is, is tipping his hand here and saying, man, I'm, I am trying to help you become mature in Christ, and the only way I can do that right now is through prayer. But, you know, I said that wrong. I said the only way. Why do we talk about prayer that way? we got to quit doing that. It's probably the best way that Paul can actually help them to mature in Christ. The other reason I, I'm pretty sure he's talking about prayer, not pretty sure, I am sure, is in Colossians chapter 4, so turn the page in your Bible, uh, in verse uh, 12, listen to what he says about their pastor. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, there's that word again, struggling, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature. You see that? You may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And so I'm pretty sure Paul is talking about the struggle that comes from praying for, to people, for people to mature in Christ. Now, lest you don't have an idea in your mind of what we mean by laboring in prayer, let me read you a couple of quotes. These were so good that they made it into my Bible last night. There's not very many quotes that make it into the back of my Bible. These two did, okay? This is by David Brainerd. He was missionary to the American Indians, died at age 28, had tuberculosis for years, rode horseback, coughing up blood while he shared village to village with the American Indians in the East. And here's what he said. God enabled me to so agonize in prayer that I was quite wet with sweat, though I was in the shade and the wind was cool. My soul was drawn out very much for the world, and I grasped for multitudes of souls. All right, do you see how this guy is praying? He's praying with an intensity that makes him break out in a sweat when it's cold outside. All right? And he's praying in a way that he is grasping for souls, all right? So, so he's agonizing over the lostness of these people, and he's praying that God would capture their hearts and draw them to Christ and bring about a new birth and grow them up to maturity. Listen to James H. Thornwell. We pray, but what is there of agony in our prayers? Do you hear him? He's saying, is there any agony in your prayers? Who wrestles with God? Whose soul is burdened with the weight of a perishing world? Or who takes an hour from his sleep or forgoes a single meal in order that he may plead the cause of millions upon millions that know not of God? All right, now what is Paul saying? He's saying it will be toil. Okay? If you're going to grow up in Jesus, it's going to be work. If you're going to help other people to grow up in Jesus, it's going to be work. Okay, it's going to be toil. It's going to be, it's going to be a struggle and an agony. However, look at verse 29, lest you be discouraged. He says, for this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, good news, all right? In the hardness of the spiritual life, in the difficulty of making disciples, there is an inexhaustible source of energy that comes from the Holy Spirit. But please, answer this question. When does that power come to you? Does it come before you need it? So is this how it works? So you're, uh, you're driving home in your car, and uh, you've had a hard, hard day at work, and you are tired, and your muscles are sore, and you start thinking about, oh man, I really need to check in on so-and-so. I need, to, I need to disciple them. I really need to share God's truth with this person. I really need to go over to so-and-so's house and comfort and encourage them. Man, I really need to sit the kids down tonight. We need to have family Bible study. And all of a sudden, do you get this shot of energy from God? I mean, it's like drinking 50 Red Bulls at one time, you know? And you're just, you know, all of a sudden your RPM goes from 1,000 to 9,000, you know? And your engine is just revving up, and you just can't wait. You hit the gas, you pull over at the first house, you jump out, slam the door, run up to the stairs, you know, greet them in the name of the Lord, sit down, share. Is that the way it happens? That never happens with me. Never, ever. You know what happens? I've, I've got to actually take in my fatigue, in my tiredness, in I'm wore out, in I really don't want to do this, I have to take steps of faith to step out and say, okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say here. And God, I'm tired. And God, I, I don't know that I want to do this, but God, this is important work. I, I, want, to, I want to present everybody mature in Christ. So God, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out and memorize scripture. I'm going to step out and read my Bible. I'm going to step out and spend an hour in prayer. I'm going to step out, I'm going to step out and struggle. And I'm going to trust that in the midst of the struggle that you are going to give me what I need to make it through. By the way, you hardly ever have extra either. You know? It's not like that. God doesn't give you this shot that just carries you easily through all this stuff. And when you get done, you go run a marathon. It isn't that way. You get done, you're exhausted. But you look back and you say, you know what? God gave me the power to do his work. So, spiritual maturity with God's power. Now, let's, let's talk about spiritual maturity for a little bit, okay? So, what exactly does the Bible describe? What, what is it describing when it describes the mature or the immature in the faith? Okay, now one of the most common things, I think there's four great passages on this in the Bible that, that really are condensed and, 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 and talk about spiritual maturity. Three of them use this image of milk and meat. Are you familiar with that? Milk and meat. Now, now, before we go any further, let me just say there is nothing wrong with spiritual babies drinking spiritual milk. There's actually something really great about that, okay? So 1 Peter 2, 2 says... Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that my, by it you may grow up to salvation. Man, it, it, is, it is awesome for a baby to drink milk. That's, that's great. But here's what's not awesome. What's not awesome is that if they don't mature from the milk. So a baby that drinks milk and drinks milk and drinks milk and never matures, that's not a good thing. Something's gone wrong there, right? Or someone who, who's fully grown and they're still on milk. There's something wrong about that, right? I mean, if we, if we all go to lunch together and, and we sit down and we all order cheeseburgers and, 
And, and Shelby, he grow, gets up there and he takes a big bite of his burger and he kind of starts choking and he has trouble chewing it. It's kind of falling out of his mouth and Sue's over there wiping his chin up and finally he just plops the whole, whole load out on his, on his plate and he's like, honey, I can't do this. And Sue reaches in her purse and gets a bottle and shakes it up a little bit, hands it over to him. You know what we know? We need to get to the hospital. Do we not? Like, like okay, come on, buddy. Let's get to the hospital. Because something has gone wrong. All right, and that's what Paul's point with the whole milk and the meat is. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what he says. He says in verse 1, Our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk. Not solid food, for you are not ready for it. They, they couldn't progress. They weren't progressing. And even now, you're not ready. Now, why does he say they're not ready? Listen to this verse. Very important. For you are still of the flesh. While there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? So here's the picture. The picture is, is that Paul has fed these folks with the milk of the word and they've not received it. They, they have spiritual digestive issues. Does that make sense? Like, like when you have spiritual digestive issues, you, you, don't, you don't process the milk like you ought to process it. Our first daughter, Hannah, uh, she's 23 now, but when she was a baby, she had reflux, right? And so, so Emma would feed her. And again, we're brand new parents. We're 19. We don't know nothing. But we, Emma would feed her. We'd put her up on our shoulder and we'd burp her. And, you know, a lot of babies will, uh, you know, a little bit of milk will run out. we like, oh, get that for you, you know. Hannah, we'd burp her and she would go, Hah! you know. And it was like, shh. It was in Kmart one day and, and she was in the line. She's holding her and. And she projectile vomited on the back of this lady's black pants, like in the next aisle, you know. If that ever happens, you should go up and you should say, ma'am, I'm sorry. Our baby, you know, projectile vomited on your, your pants and we're really sorry. Can we help you with that? That's not exactly what Emma did. She was a new mom and pretty frustrated. I'll, I, I'll let you talk to her about that. But anyway, uh, until we got that fixed, she didn't grow. Like, we'd take her to the baby, and she was not gaining weight. Okay, so, so that, she wasn't progressing. Paul's saying, why are you guys still selfish? How many sermons have you heard on this? How, how much of God's word have, have we, why are you still jealous? Why are you still picking party spirits? Why are you all dis, disunited? Why are you so unforgiving? You know why? They had spiritual digestive issues. Paul been giving them milk, milk of the word, but they were, they were pukers. They were throwing it up. They were not receiving it and being transformed by the word. So here's how it's supposed to work. You get the milk of the word and you begin to be transformed, right? Your life begins to change. You begin to put off your old self and put on the new self. You begin to be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you, you begin to be different. And then you begin to use the word of God. In your own life and in the lives of others. In fact, that is the number one sign of spiritual maturity. I'm, I'm ranking these, I'm sorry. But I think the number one sign of spiritual maturity is that you are skilled in the Word of God. Let me show you why I believe that. Hebrews chapter 5. Same milk, meat kind of analogy here. Different writer. But Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 says, About this 
We have much to say, and it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Okay, just what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you guys have heard this before, but you've not received it. You've not grown. You've not matured. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is, important phrase here, unskilled in the word of righteousness. What's he saying? What's milk? Milk is when you don't handle this well. You don't handle it in your own life well. Like what ought to happen is, is you, you, you take in the word of God and you're like, oh, Jesus, I believe it, man. Man, my life is not like that, but I believe you. I trust you. So, Lord, I'm taking a faith step and, I, and, and, and Lord, you're going to change me through your word. That wouldn't happen here. They were unskilled in the word of righteousness. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, says, by this time you, you ought to be teaching. Now, does he mean you ought to have a class and you ought to have a lectern and you get up and you give a sermon? I, I don't think that's necessarily what he means. In fact, in the book of James, it says that not everybody should be teachers. There's going to be a stricter judgment and accountability. And so I, I don't think he means that. What I think he means is you know the word. You ought, to be, you ought to be sharing this. Do I believe that everybody ought to be a sharer of God's word? That's a great question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every born-again believer ought to be someone who speaks the truth of God's word to others? I hope you believe that because we're going to get to it. Colossians chapter 3, if you just turn your page or go over to the other page, however it is in your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, so God's word ought to dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You see that? We, we ought all be speaking the truth to one another. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, where it talks about spiritual maturity, Paul says this in, in verse 15 of chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Do you see what he's saying? One of the characteristics of growing up in the faith, is you begin to speak the word of God to others. Let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Let's keep reading here. I think we're at verse uh, 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here's what ought to happen with the Word of God. You ought to be taking in the Word of God, and as you're taking it in, and as you're obeying it, you take it in, you obey it, you take it in, you obey it, you take it in, you obey it. You know what happens? You get trained. You get training, right? Man, God starts changing your attitude day after day after day. He starts changing your, your, your worldview. He starts changing your values, starts changing your affections, starts changing your desires, and pretty soon you, you're, you're trained. You're practiced up on discerning. Good from evil is the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. So in other words, when you've got to make a business decision, you know, you know how you're going to make that decision? You're going, to, you're going to make that decision based on what God's been doing in you in your heart through the Word of God. You're going to make that decision about your kids and about your evenings and about your activities based on the Word of God. People come to me all the time um, for counseling, okay? One of the first things I always tell them is, I'm not a counselor. I want them to know that because I think when most people think of a counselor, they think of someone who's practicing psychology or psychiatry. And I just want them to know right away, I have zero training in that. Not only that, but I don't think I've ever watched a whole episode of Dr. Phil or Oprah. So, I mean, what do I know about that? Like, zip, okay? 
So what, do I, what am I doing? I'm doing what every one of you should be doing. When anybody comes to you with any kind of problem, you should immediately be asking the question, what does the Bible say about this? Like, that's what I'm doing. As people are unloading their stuff, you know what I'm thinking? What's the Bible say about this? What does Jesus say about this? What does Paul say about this? What does the Old Testament say about this? What does the book of Proverbs say about this? What, what does it say? Like, like that's, how I, that's, all, that's, that's the one bullet I have. And it's actually, I don't want any more bullets. I'm not going back to get my training in psychology. Not doing it. You can't make me. All right? I'm not going to do it. All I'm going to do is use my one bullet, which is, what does the Bible say? And Paul says here, that's a sign of growing up in the Lord. Is you not only begin to use the Bible in your own life, you begin to speak the Bible to others. That's what spiritual grown-ups do. We share truth. We proclaim Jesus. We warn people. We exhort people. We teach people. We train people. We share God's truth. That, that's what spiritual adults do. Second mark of maturity. And by the way, I have five of these, and I quickly realized in the 830 service that that's not going to happen. Okay? So I'm going to skim through these. I'm going to hit two of them a little bit, and I'll mention the others. Okay? So second mark of maturity is you are connected to other believers. Okay? So look in verse 2. So Paul is struggling for them. He's praying for them. And he says in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. That's kind of a cool word, knit together, isn't it? You know, it's like it's like you're you're being joined, you're being you're being sewed together, you're being uh, connected together with the hearts of other believers by love. Well, one of the things that you're going to find in in spiritual maturity is that it differs from other types of maturity. Whenever I think about my kids being being mature, I think about someday they're gonna they're gonna move away, right? They're gonna go do something else. They're gonna have their own families. They're gonna they're gonna go to college. They're gonna do whatever. They're gonna be more independent. Spiritual maturity actually goes the other way. Okay, the, the further you grow in Jesus, the more you connect with other believers. That's part of being a spiritually mature person, is that your hearts are knit together in love with other believers. That's, that's one of the things I always warn people about. The phase of life that I'm entering into, which is now I'm 45, so 45 to 60, one of, one of the dangers there in that age, age range is the kids leave. That's not anywhere true for my house, but for most people, that's what's happening. Your kids leave. And, and, and then a lot of people begin to pull away from vital relationships. They have less connectedness. Now, the thing I argue with people is that less connectedness is actually less love. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. They all argue with me. No, 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 no. It doesn't. I, I love my church. I love people as m more than I ever have. Well, you might feel more loving than you ever have. I'm not arguing with that. You, however you feel is however you feel. But what I'm arguing is in the Bible, love is practical. Like love is serving together. Love is meeting needs together. Love is connecting together. Love is praying together. Love is sharing life together. Love, I mean, that's what, love is practical connectedness, all right? And so when Paul struggles in prayer for these believers that they become mature, he prays that their hearts would be knit together in love. It's interesting, later in Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 14, he's going to tell us, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, love is the thing that draws us together as believers, would you believe this? We're not all alike here at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. Would you believe that? Not everybody likes to mountain bike. I can't figure that out, you know? 
but we don't all like the same thing. You know how we're, you know how we're connected together? The love of Jesus, right? Okay, that, that's what joins us. That's what connects us together. All right, quickly. Here, we're out of time, but third mark of maturity is full assurance. So look at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance. You, you know what spiritual grown-ups are convinced of? They're convinced of their salvation, and they're convinced that Jesus will not let them down. They're convinced that everything he said is true. Everything he says he's going to do, he's going to do. They have a rich assurance, a full assurance of all that Christ has done. If I had time, I'd love to unpack with you that verse 2 and 3 because I think those two things are connected. I really think that being connected to believers in love, if you read that sentence, is actually connected to full assurance. I think that's true. I think the more believers you're connected to, the more believers you love, I think the more assured you become of your salvation and of all that Christ is going to do. Fourth mark of maturity is you're centered on Christ. Okay, so let's keep reading in verse 2 and 3. He says, To reach all the reaches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then this great verse, verse 3, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You, you know where every bit of wisdom is? It's in Jesus. You know where every bit of knowledge is? It's in Jesus. It's all there. It's all in Him. Okay? You don't need to go somewhere else. Like, you don't need to go to Jesus for this first part, you know, the salvation of your soul. But then when you want to know how to raise your kids, well, you got to go to the library. you got to read Dr. Spock. You gotta, I, I don't believe that. I, I think all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. You know, when, when, when it's not like you come to Jesus for salvation, but then when you start working on your marriage, well, you, you got to go somewhere else because Jesus didn't have a wife. Okay, he does have a wife. It's, they're called the church, by the way. It's you, all right? But I know he didn't have a wife in the scripture, but you know what? If you will follow what Jesus said and lived and how he lived, you'll have a great marriage, okay? Jesus knows everything about marriage, and he actually modeled everything about marriage by living out the life that he lived. All right, so what I'm saying is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that's what Paul's saying, are in Christ. And so verse 6 says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, now you've got to walk in Him. And so, so you, you keep going further and further into Christ. You, your life needs to be centered on Christ. I was trying to think of an illustration for what does it mean to be Christ-centered, okay? Well, let's, let's, let's work this out. What does it mean to be kid-centered, okay? Because we all know that. I hear you guys talking about that all the time. You're like, well, that's a, that's a really, they're a really kid-centered family. When we say that, what do we mean? Well, what we mean is is that their life revolves around their kids, right? Their life revolves around what the kids need, what the kids desire, what the kids want, the activities of the kids. It means that they talk about the kids all the time, right? They're always talking about their kids. It means that they find their identity in how their kids are doing, right? When their kid scores that winning goal in the soccer game, they walk out of there thinking life is good, you know? When their kid was looking at the birds flying over while the winning goal went by them, they walk out of there thinking life is bad, you know? I mean, it's, it's all wrapped around the kids. They care deeply what you think of their kids. Their happiness, to some degree, is, revolves around how happy the kids are, okay? Their attention is surrounded around the kids. So, taking that definition... What does it mean to be Christ-centered? Well, I think what it means to be Christ-centered is your, your life revolves around Jesus, right? And you talk about Him all the time. Your identity is found in Him, in how He's doing. And you know the cool thing about that? 
he's always doing awesome, right? And so your, your identity doesn't roll this, you know, I'm great, I'm nothing. I'm a failure, I'm a success. You know, it, it, didn't, roll, it didn't roll that way. Because it's, it's, it's secure in who Christ is. It means your happiness and your well-being are tied to Jesus' happiness and Jesus' well-being. It means your schedule revolves around Jesus. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything for the kids. No, actually, I think if your life is Christ-centered, you'll be a great parent. You'll be a great grandparent. You'll be great. Whatever you do, you're going to be great at it because you're going to follow Jesus. Fifth mark of maturity. We don't have time to say much about this at all, but verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. One of the marks of a mature Christian is they're not persuaded back and forth. Their, their, their Christian life isn't on again, off again, start, stop, drop away. Sometimes we're that way when we're still a baby Christian, but as we grow up, we, be, we get stable in the Lord. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks will, will say, Whenever they kind of fall away from stuff, I, I I still believe the same. I reject that because here's what I'm convinced of: everything I do in my life goes back to what I believe. I I, I think that, like I I think what I do has a direct correlation with what I believe, and so whenever what I'm doing is off, that means that I've got a faith problem somewhere, right? Well. Spiritual maturity is when we're grounded and stable in what we believe, in what we're convinced of. I, I know we had to roll through those really quick, but, but would, would you just keep a couple things in your mind? Would, would you keep in your mind that it is God's will for you to grow up in Christ? That, that's His will for you. And not only is that His will for you, but it's His will that you help other people mature in Christ. And then... Man, I'm telling you, this will help a lot. you got to remember, that is hard work. Okay? It's toil. There's no way around that. Okay? And the reason that's so important is because we're going to be tempted, just like with everything else in the Christian life, to say, that's hard. And so I'm not going to do it. No. It is hard. And if, you will take the, if you'll take the face step of jumping into it, God will supply the power. Let's be people like Paul. We're, we're willing to struggle, agonize in our prayers. Man, I'm telling you, those two quotes were so convicting to me. Am I agonizing? Am I struggling in prayer for the nations? Let's pray. Father, help us to grow up, God. Help us to mature in Christ. I pray, Father, that you would make us people who are skilled in the word of righteousness, people who, who are trained at putting putting to practice the truths of the Scripture. And Lord, make us people who speak your word. Make us people who are connected with other believers in vital relationships. Make us people who are, who are fully assured of all that you're going to do. Make us people who, who are Christ-centered, who are going deeper and deeper into the wisdom and riches and knowledge of Christ. Make us people who, who aren't up and down, off and on in our Christian life, but are stable and steadfast. God, help us grow up. God, make us people who make disciples, who make other disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.